All right, welcome to the Dead 3 Coaching Podcast. I am your host, George Evian. I'm, we're up to episode 17 or 18 now, and I'm super excited about today's guest. Uh, I brought this up to my friend here maybe two or so years ago. I've known him for about three years. Brought this up a couple of years ago with our old podcast, and we have really never been able to connect on a time or just, you know, with for maybe a number of reasons, but I'm very, really excited about our guest for today. He's a friend of mine. I work with him. Uh, he's been a mentor to me and um, somebody that has taught me a lot and somebody when he speaks, I typically uh, open my notebook up or reflect back on our conversations and take notes on him. And he's been very influential in me and my journey on leadership and agile and software in a, in a different world uh, outside of leadership. But I'm super excited about our guest today. Um, it's Christian Hasselberg. Uh, a St. Louis, uh, can I say native? Are you a native of St. Louis? Is No, no, no. I'm actually um, grew up in Connecticut. Did not know that. Grew up in Connecticut. Yep. And so I guess we'll get into uh, maybe how you ended up in St. Louis as we get going here. I yeah, want to sure. give you, um, you know, I appreciate one, Christian, just appreciate the time that you have today. I know we're both busy with what we do for livings, uh, but for you to be able to, the last conversation we had, you rolled into my area, I guess, and pulled up a chair, sat down, made yourself comfortable. And we ended up talking for about 45 or so minutes about things. I think both of us are really interested and passionate about, yes, with what it does for us professionally, but really our passions in in uh, leadership and team development, people development and, and process development, things like that. So that's when I said, man, I really need to get you on because I think we'd be able to chop it up and have a great episode and, and really, uh, you know, have a great discussion about things that people are interested in here. So yeah. appreciate you having time. Thanks, man. I, I hope, hope it's great. My first hum, my first piece of humility is I've been saying your name wrong for three years. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> to a good start. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, uh, here in the St. Louis area and the people that I run with, there's a friend of mine who's actually going to wind up coaching my boys a uh, very good friend. I think he listens to the podcast and he said it. So I've known him for six or seven years now. And at one point he kept introducing my children with the wrong uh, pronunciation of my last name. And I think my, my oldest son ended up correcting him at one point. Um, I, I, the first direction I would like to go for us. Um, when I first started, you were part of my interview with where we currently work. We sat down in an interview room and, and I knew we, we kind of hit it off and I was, I kind of made the comment mentally to myself. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this job. I don't know if it's the right job or whatever it is, but that guy that interviewed me, um, I really liked, like we had some similar interests and passions and kind of narrative and language, um, that I really liked. And I, it may have been at that point, it may have been shortly after I was hired, um, that I started working with you, that you, you made this uh, comment about the Arbinger Institute. And I didn't know mm -hmm. anything about the Arbinger Institute. You made a suggestion, actually, I'm holding up a book now of this book called The Leadership and Self-Deception. You were like, hey, um, you know, this is a book that you may find interesting. And I have it here in front of me. And I remember reading it. It's been three years now. But refresh me and and maybe update everybody on I, I don't know anything about the Arbinger Institute. And I guess for people that are really passionate and interested in leadership, they should or I should. Um, what is the, the Arbinger Institute and, and how are you connected with it or is it just content you consume? Um, yeah, it's a great question. So uh, Arbinger or the Arbinger Institute kind of came about, I want to say, I don't know, over 
over several years, a guy named Terry Warner. Um, I, I would say he was, he was the, the original guy. He's out of Utah. And him and a couple other guys named uh, Jim Farrell, who's also an avid basketball guy. He's got some oh. incredible basketball stories. Um, Jim Farrell was the leader for a long time. Now now his son, Mitch Warner, runs it, um, Terry Warner's son. Uh, and I got involved in it because uh, the company I was with at the time had some problems. And they were having problems with uh, – they. if you could sum it up, they were having people problems. You know, and – things like that didn't make sense. Like they would, people wouldn't share resources, right? If your goals were, weren't aligned with their goals, that's their problem. Right. And, and they were trying to find ways to get out of bigger problems. They were getting, they were getting bought and, they, and the acquisition was a big deal. And they had to cut a hundred million dollars out of their spend and figure out how to do that. And how do you do that with a bunch of people that aren't cooperating? Right. I mean, the only way to do that is layoffs, right? I mean, you were just going to have to drop the hammer and make it happen. And, and so they, the CEO at the time, her name was Louise Francisconi, and and Louise brought brought in Arbinger as a a way to try help solve people problems. And uh, and the way they do that is um, they generally a lot of coaching and mentoring. And I, I hear the word all the time you. All we have to do is change our mindsets and behaviors and we'll be fine, right? right. Um, it's easier said than done to do that, right? <laughs> First of all, if you if you if you see the world wrong, then even if you fix your behaviors, everyone it's still gonna it's gonna it's gonna fall short on you. And let me let me give you an example. Um if I if I believe the world is flat. I'm, I'm picking this off the top of my head, so this may not go well. But if I believe the world is flat, uh, I don't. But if I did, um, then everything that I do say or believe will come from that framework. That's just how I see the world. Right? The world that. has that mentality, right? And so um, even if I am alive to other possibilities, because I believe it to be true, then it's going to affect all my behaviors. Even if I'm trying to fake it, fake my way through believing, pretending it's round or whatever, it's just not going to work. Um, let me, let me see if I can find, think of a better example of this, something in my, my personal life that would, would make sense. Like um, um, let's say I'm, I really believe my wife is a problem, right? I mean, this, all, all these, all these work problems, they, they all, they all, they all, they all show up right. at home too, Right. Right. I believe my wife's at fault at something. Um, no matter how hard I try to smooth it over or act this way or even apologize, she'll realize I'm apologizing wrong, if that makes any sense. So mm -hmm. Arbinger teaches that it's more about how you see others and how you see the world than it is about how you behave and what you're doing. And so what they try to teach is that in the big scheme of things, we're all equal. I'm not better, worse than anybody else. And that my needs are just as important as your needs, et cetera, right? And, mm -hmm. and that can extend to an organization, right? Um, we all have customers, right? We all have 
employees or we all have um, competitors and coworkers, right? And, and Arbinger teaches, actually doesn't really teach. It just points out a reality. And the reality is that we've been resisting all of those things. Do I really care about my customers? Well, if I did, what, what, I would know a lot more about them than I do. I would know about how they measure success. I would know more about um, their needs and worries and thoughts and fears because I know about mine, right? Am I really alive to their needs, thoughts, and fears, or am I just kind of pretending and I'm doing a bunch of things that might be valuable, but they're really, really not valuable at all, right? It's like this idea that I'm, I'm, because I'm doing what I think is the right idea, but is it really right to them? Am I measuring my outcomes from their point of view or from my own? Similarly with my wife, right? So am I measuring my outcomes in my marriage from my point of view or from hers? Um, do I really care? Um, is a tough thing I struggle with about every every other day. <laughs> so uh, it turns out that we're maybe uh, maybe I'm uh, alone here, but it turns out that if I'm really self-reflective, I'm a lot more selfish than I should be or that I want to admit that I am. Mm. Right. Um, and the only way to get past that is to kind of really start to understand it. And, and part of the reason why this makes it really difficult is the book's called Self-Deception for a reason, is that if I really believe that, say, George is the problem, then all my thoughts and behaviors around it are going to be revolved around the fact that George is the problem. And all my solutions are going to be about fixing George mm. or getting around George or, you know, Talking, you know, it's going to be like, you know, George is an obstacle or he's irrelevant <laughs> or there's there's some other, you know, he maybe he's just pretty to look at. I don't know. It's interesting. I, I knew that one question would lead us lead us where we need to go. Right. <laughs> so, no, I because I like this because I think I probably operate that way. Right. Like um, we I probably look for things that aren't going well. Like I. I, very sport sport podcast uh, and everybody knows that that listens to it right but if if we're 5 and 28 and we're not winning i'm going to try to come up with 10 or 15 bullet points on why we're not why we're not as good as we should be right and i know part of that hopefully with the way i choose to lead would be what can i do what can i influence what how am i responsible etc right but at yeah. some point it may circle around like you know christians doing x y and z right so if, if it's very focused on my wife or, you know, you or specific people, and maybe it's, is it, and maybe their, their results and their behaviors and their habits and how they're contributing to us being five and 28. Right. So that's part of it. Right. But then on the other side is, I guess, how to not do that, or is, is that healthy in building a team or is it no George, it's not healthy in building a team. And here's the perspective that great elite leaders or the Arbinger group uh, suggest for you to look at those problems. Is there is there another side to it? If it's not your wife, and it, it, how do you shift the focus from your wife to yourself or to other things outside of that? Where should my mind be if it's not on my wife? Um, it it's 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 a little more subtle than that, but essentially it's not so much that it's on my wife. It's how I'm seeing her. Am I seeing her like someone who matters to me? 
that, that who matters as much as I matter? Am I seeing her in a way that she's equal? Like that her thoughts and f- cares, feelings have, uh, you know, that level, of, I have that level of, of connection with her at that level, or am I seeing her in a way that I'm feeling superior and, um, you know, with some scorn or blame or a whole lot of other emotions that seem to be red flags and warning signs that I'm really not seeing her that way. So if the team's five and 27 and, and, uh, you know, a, a bad coach would be like, yep, they, they stink. Right. <laughs> and it's my job to make them unstink. Right. And I'm going to blame them for all the problems, right. You're, you're sitting there saying, okay, I'm going to try to own as much of this as I can, and I'm going to um, make changes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there's some realities, right? If my point guard is five foot nothing, mm-hmm. can't dribble well, can't shoot well, right? Um, isn't putting the practice in to get better. Um, there is a level of accountability that's expected, right? And so Arbinger is soft like a brick if you do it right because it really demands a high level of personal accountability where it's not it's not my job to create to hold everybody accountable okay as a coach or a lead, as a manager it's my job to create an environment where they hold themselves accountable all right and that's a subtle difference and the only thing i have to hold them accountable for is for them to hold themselves accountable themselves accountable to themselves like George is accountable for George or the team we we as a team are accountable to one another well exactly exactly right the second I would say it's mostly the second George is accountable for George but George is accountable for the right results in the organization right so if George is the point guard well what is expected out of the point guard right I mean that he's going to work hard that he's going to learn his skills that he's going to be studying film, that he's going to be prepping his opponent, right? And and, and he's going to be, um, you know, preparing his uh, coworkers or teammates for success, right. blah, 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 right? Those are his results, right? That that he's going to, when the interview comes up later, he's going to sm- put a smile on his face and say, yep, I scored 50 points, but it was my teammates that made it happen, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no, um, right? So but, the question would be what does, and, and, just to go back to what you you said earlier, that's not and and I like it and I'm not disagreeing with it. Uh, I need to think about it deeper about how how much a coach is accountable to to that group of their their accountability. So what what are you saying? A coach should not do that at all, or a coach needs to cre- their focus should be on creating that environment where they are accountable to the group as opposed to being the coach holding them accountable. Like so, how do you get to that point? So so let let's say this right. Um, I, I'll, I'll I'll use a work example right. I've got a lot on my plate every day. I don't have time to look over the shoulder of every person and ask them whether they're doing their best, right? Got it. I have to expect that they're already doing their best. That's self accountability, right? Okay. And and I and and I because there's things I'm responsible for for customers for my coworkers, for my boss, for the community, right? I mean, uh, for the industry, right? There's there's conferences we go to. Those are the results that I need to achieve. And, and I have a responsibility to my team too, which is to support them and grow them. So mm-hmm. they should hold me accountable 
for whether how well I'm supporting and growing them. That's my that's my results to them. They have results to me too, which is to report and hold themselves accountable. So if we're all real clear on how we are accountable in each of the directions of our work, right? Like if 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 you worked for me and I had no idea what your career aspirations were, and I guessed or I treated you kind of like, well, he's just one of those guys. I'm going to, you know, he's going to be in that job for three years and then I'm going to throw him away and replace him with another one. That's kind of the military mm-hmm. mentality a lot, right? We don't really, sometimes we don't retain people. We just kind of send them off to society and recruit a new one, right? Right. I suppose that's a business model. It can work. Um, but what's a more fulfilling work, right? I mean, if, if this person's really good, maybe they could be the next VP, right? The next vice president, next executive, or they could be mentoring the next group. Am I giving this person opportunities, you know, to grow? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is, you know, I, as a coach, what are you doing, right? You're, you're taking that second string guy and bringing him into some key situations once in a while to see how he does, right. To get him some experience. Right. So, your that's your responsibility, right? It's yeah, you want to win, absolutely. But sometimes we're not going to win, and we're going to use these opportunities to learn and grow. And I don't know. So if everyone in the organization understands what their responsibilities are to be self accountable, it is a really high performing organization hmm. in general. Because if if the vision is aligned. And everyone has to do the time because they already know what to do. What kind of place is that to work like? I mean, and oh, by the way, one of the responsibility, right? And so, you know, if you're struggling and you know, I know I can help you, it would it's a reasonable for me to just if I really cared about you, I would it would occur to me to help you, right? And so um I would come by and say, Hey, I noticed this. Uh would would this be helpful for you? And you could say yes or no, right? And so um, help offered is a better model than help needed. Like mm. help offered is I've already thought about your problems because you you matter like I matter. And I've and I've come up with some solutions. And help needed is like, you know, hey, you know, I'm having trouble. And then what I find in some cultures, work cultures at least. When you ask for help, they just turn around and throw it back at you and say, that's your problem, right? Or they give you more work to do. (laughs) They just give you more work to do, right? Right. So it doesn't seem like that's very helpful. Yes. I want to um, tell me real quick, uh, because when I started started working with you, you mentioned this Arbinger book. And I remember reading, it's been three years now, but I remember, and I don't remember much of it. I I, I kind of flipped through it a little bit before we started recording and I have yeah. a lot in there highlighted and underlined and earmarked and all that sort of stuff. But you also told me about your book, The Frantic Leadership that yeah. I have here in front of me. And as I was going through my notes on this book, there was one chapter in there I wanted to just ask you about quickly. Um, and, and I'm going through some notes here because I'd like this help offered, help needed. And I wrote that just down. Um, but there's a chapter in here, and then you actually mention in the chapter that it's your favorite chapter. And I wanted to get into this a little bit. Was this chapter 16 of your book where you talk about moral courage? Oh. 
And you and you say in there that it was one of your favorite chapters to write. And one, I mean, I'd love, and I don't know. I mean, we can get into it. I have as long as you do, but because I, I'm fascinated by the process of writing a leadership book and and what that took and how you got the idea for it and how you came up with the name Frantic Leadership. There's a lot of questions in there. But as your <laughs> chapter of moral courage, why was that such a good chapter for you to write? Why did you enjoy that chapter so much? Uh, yeah, wow, I'll tell you, it's been it's been several years since I've wrote it, so. Um... I, I I really I'll I'll go back and read it because I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Um, more in in general, moral courage right is is rare right. I mean, and and, and sometimes it can be career limiting to to be the one that stands up and says that the hey we're not going to make the date or you know the quality is not going to be what we want or any number of we're having risks here that we're ignoring. And the baby's not as pretty as, uh, you know, the, we, we want it to be. And, um, uh, for me, I, I like to think that integrity was important and, um, I don't want to vote for somebody who, who seems to lack integrity and I, nor do I want to go to bed at night saying I, I didn't look myself in the mirror and say, I did the best I could today. You know, I cheated somebody. I swing, you know, I got mm -hmm. the better of somebody. And I, you know, um, you know, if I'm going to sell, like I, I like to fix cars and I'm going to sell a car. If I don't disclose what's wrong with the car, because there's always something wrong with one of my cars, then, you know, it, 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 I didn't do it on purpose. You know, right. it, I, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to get rich on someone else's back. And, and, um, that I find that in a lot of organizations that the guy who speaks up gets whacked. Right. And, um, sometimes if you're the person willing to take the risk and say, um, we've got a problem when everyone else is kind of, you know, mumbling about saying everyone knows it's a problem. Just no one's afraid to bring it up to the leadership because, the leadership generally hits everybody with a hammer, right? right. It, and um, and that's not always the case because it, 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 it you know the diet the um, the book the Arbinger book talks about a collusion, right? It's like if you ask the senior leadership and they say, well, why why am I not hearing about the problems? I, I my door is open. I I don't understand, right? But what they don't understand or what they're self deceived about is that the things they're doing and saying to the organization is actually encouraging them not to speak up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, if, if uh, you know, the, the last guy that spoke up gets, you know, gets reprimanded or whacked or more work to do, then why would I speak up? I'm just going to get reprimanded, whacked or more work to do. Right. And so um, you, so you come up with these coping or defensive mechanisms because in the year, you're feeling now it's the other way around. Instead of feeling superior and resentful, you're feeling like fear and worry, yeah. right? You're worried you'll lose your job. You're worried that, you know, someone else is going to get a promotion. Right. You're worried about status. And so how much are, are, are organizations, how much fear is in an organization, right? I mean, back, back to what's ideal. I, I mean, I've never seen an ideal organization yet. I mean, I've been in a few small teams where I went, man, we just are the best. This is the best team I've ever been on. And um, you just have almost love 
I don't you know, it's not physical love, but it's like this just a deep caring for everybody on that team. And it's a just an amazing uh, place to be uh, to create that environment or to be a part of it. And, and you want to be part of it again once you understand it. And um, what do those teams have? There's a side note, but yeah. what do those teams have between the one you just suggested and the ones that don't have that? So the, the, the three words you've used that I have down here are going to be integrity, right? Moral courage. And you use the word care. And I've used the word care in a, a number of my podcast, our podcast that and episodes we put out about care. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I do use the word love, right. And, and we know professionally, we don't mean it, you know, all the different types of love that there are. Right. But you have this great love and appreciation and admiration and respect for those that you work with. And you want to have this great, um, you know, level of care, um, and you want to, you know, have a high level of integrity, right? So, you know, those are some things that I've heard you say, or things I'm taking away from it, maybe on highly elite teams that, um, that are just the best you've been around, but I guess you could say that the, the bad teams don't have those, right? But what's the difference between those two, right? That the good ones you've seen and the bad ones you've seen, other than the good, the bad teams miss this or don't care about that. Well, Everybody wants it, but they can't quite put their finger on it. And what they want is a high-performing team that has a and, and and what and you know all of the pundits come through and they the I'll I'll save you a lot of money for in 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 consulting right mm-hmm. because <laughs> they'll they'll all come through and say well all we need to do is create more trust you know and change the culture mm-hmm. and we'll be all set right <laughs> so <laughs> maybe we maybe we reorganize a couple of times that'll help too right mm-hmm. I, I'm kidding but. You kind of get the idea is that they they want more trust. Well, how is trust created, right? How 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 it's built on relationships, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to do I really care? Am I am I building relationships? Um am I and then as I move up, uh, there's a pyramid in this in this somewhere in the arbiter material, but as I'm moving up the pyramid, am I listening to what the problems are? Am I listening carefully? Am I learning? And then as you move up, am I teaching and correcting or teaching and then teaching and communicating effectively? And then finally, once things go wrong, am I correcting? Um, you'll find it in poorly performing organizations, correction is we spend a lot of our time fixing and correcting instead of at the bottom when we're building relationships and communicating. And what I find is if I spend some time, not a lot, but some time building relationships first, Right. And building trust ahead of time with people, that when the when the rocky problems occur, their first inclination isn't to blame me, it's to say, well, help me understand, Christian, what's going on, right? And then mm-hmm. we work together to solve a problem, as opposed to you know people that oh jump to conclusions, oh he's out to get me. I, I, I one of the most eloquent things I ever heard a lady say, and it was a compliment to me, so I shouldn't say it, but. Um, but, I'll, but I'll start with it as a total flub. I said something in a meeting and I, and the words, my, it came out all wrong. And, and, and it would have been really offensive. And, and I, I so I, I inadvertently said something really offensive and, and some, and the boss looked over and said, holy cow, did you just say that? And, and he looked over at the woman who would be offended. And she said, I know what his heart meant. Hmm. And I went, whoa, but that when someone knows what your heart means, as opposed to what you say, then you've got a high performing team, right? 
because it's not about getting every word right. It's not about, you know, if you say this or do this or this behavior and, you know, manipulate them this way or that way, you know, those, those methods won't work. It's, it, it, it truly is about caring and, 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 but it has to be caring with purpose, right? Mm. And the purpose is whatever the purpose of the organization is, you know, are we here to win basketball games? Or are we here to have fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, whatever right. the goal of the team is, it might, it might be rec league. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to... we're caring with purpose, yeah. so integrity and care, and you use the word safety, right? Um, there is, and we've, we've talked about this before in the podcast, the idea of uh, knowing someone's intent and knowing their heart. And the only way of really knowing that is through relationship and connection and building trust and all that. But, but what you have me thinking about is the tip of that triangle. And you have me thinking about the correction and the feedback. Like right now, and, and for those listening, like, yeah, Christian and I work together. We've worked together for three years um, and, and I've enjoyed it and I continue to learn. And all that. So if Christian comes at me with correction and feedback, like that's easy. Even if he were to get after me, right? Like I coach, um, I coach on 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 the side, and I work with young athletes. And you can't go in and just start screaming and yelling and providing correction and feedback and getting after people and challenging them to get to their next level, uh, the next level of greatness, as we say on the podcast, right? Without them knowing your intent without them and knowing your heart and without you all being connected. Right. So that's why I kind of always have this slow kind of roll to it where you really have to get to know people. So if Christian were to challenge me or get after me or provide feedback, I absolutely 100% know where it's coming from. Right. But um, if you don't have that relationship um, in an organization it's really harder to hear that message, right? Well, well, uh, let's, well let's, yeah. let's take the, let's take an, an extreme that's in sure. pretty common in, in the news today, right? You've got Twitter taken over by a new owner. Yep. And, and this guy's taking the completely other approach, a very opposite approach Yes. where it's like, you're going to work 16 hours a day and we're right. going to have ridiculous deadlines and we're going to, you know, Perfect example. And if and if you don't do these things, you're going to be laid off, right? And and, and it's very fair. I'm going to say it's very fair. Um, you know, to the point where I think yesterday you've had this person who just put in you know ridiculous hours for the last month or two to deliver all these features, and for whatever reason, and I'm speculating, a whole group of people just got laid off. Apparently, they didn't meet the objectives. The this person set some incredibly high standards. And you're gone, right? I mean, it can be done the other way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there there are there are plenty of ways to lead. I don't want to be a part of that kind of leadership. But it does get results. But I would argue that sometimes, I mean, there I would argue that you would get better results in the long run by working differently. Mm-hmm. That better results. In the long run, by like, working. Can you imagine a um, think of a because since we since we like basketball, can you think of basketball coaches that that win the championship, but then the team just kind of yeah after the championship, right? I mean, they they get the they get the award, but man, was it rough getting there, right? right. I mean, it was a and, and then what happens to that team afterwards? Can they repeat? 
you know, right. people people don't want to live in that pressure cooker forever, right? Yeah, I watched a, yeah, just to stay on the basketball point and 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 maybe to put a point with what you're saying. This past weekend, I watched with my boys. We're basketball fanatics, as people that listen know. We watched uh, what was what was it called? Uh, the uh, the end the days of night or something like that. It was something like that. It was a thirty for thirty on Bobby Knight. It was about the downfall of Bobby Knight, who was the head coach at Indiana, yeah. coached there from the early seventies all the way through. May have won. Definitely won a championship in 76, 79, yep. something like that. Uh, but anyway, it was about his downfall. Now, he was a uh, – uh, he was something. You know, he was a piece of work. He would – and he he essentially got fired for choking somebody. That's how that's how he was, right? Yep. And my point of that is, you know, I was talking with my boys about it. Could you play for somebody like that? Could you? And, and their reaction was, no, we couldn't, right? And I couldn't either. I couldn't work for somebody like that, yeah. right? But then you have the other side of it in the coaching world of like a Tony Dungy, if you follow athletics. Well, what right? about a Mike Krzyzewski? Or a right? Mike Krzyzewski. Mike Krzyzewski worked. Mike Krzyzewski worked for, worked for Knight. Bobby Knight. <laughs> yep. And, and so, right? I mean, you, so yeah, it's I hard mean, to understand, right? But I mean, Krzyzewski is the pretty much opposite of Bobby Knight. The external, right? the external persona of Bobby Knight. Right. So, yeah, like you, one, you have to be who you are, but you need to be able to adapt. And you and I've talked about that. You also know how to have to know how to, if you really are at the core trying to figure out how to connect and how to lead and how to trust and get ownership and all these different kind of buzzwords out there. Right. But it really boils down to me. And I heard this. It's a pillar of what we do. And it's also uh, a phrase that I've heard uh, in the past week or so. And I forgot who I heard it from, but it's it really boils down of being connected with people and that connection and connection and being connected. And that's a phrase that we've used. So however you feel you can do that. Right. And so I, Bobby Knight came from a background in the army and did, and, and Mike Krzyzewski was at West point with Bobby Knight and in the army. Yep. And so there's part of me that thinks there's this military macho background of just kind of nose to nose and being challenged and getting, you know, building, breaking people down and getting them to the bottom and then building them back up to what a soldier or what an elite athlete would be. And I say that because you have a military background, correct? What would your take be then on that approach of a Bobby Knight or a Mike Krzyzewski of breaking people down and getting them to, you know, to the bottom and then building them back up and maybe some core you know, values of, of that, that Bobby Knight tried to do. You, you, I, I obviously in our, you know, 34 minute conversation here, you don't necessarily prescribe to that line of leadership. Is it, is that a military thing? So that that military background. So that's interesting. So in, in order to be that kind of leader, there's a certain kind of power that you have to have and, and it's called expert power. And it, it, there's a chapter in my book about it, right? There's different kinds of power. Is that you have to uh, you have to have to understand that Bobby Knight is the smartest guy on that team, right? And that the process of breaking you down and building you up mm-hmm. actually would appeal to me that I might be willing willing to work to to coach under him. I don't really care if he's a jerk. Like if if he's going to help get us to that you know, trophy or whatever, I might, I actually might be okay with it. So long as the mission was worth it. Like if the only way to get to the moon was to, you know, we all had to work 36 hours a day to do it. If I was on board to go to the moon, I would work 36 hours a day to do it because it's a passion. If you're passionate about it enough, 
and I believe that expert's going to get me there, I'll work for that guy. Absolutely. So, so to the point, sorry to interrupt you, but to your point about the gentleman that took over Twitter, if you know the vision, if you know the outcome, if you know the results and people get laid off and this guy's a tyrant and he's wearing you out, you, you're, you, you'd be willing to stay. Possibly. Because, Possibly. Like, if like, he gets me to my passion, if he gets me to look, my look, look at look at look at where he's been successful, right? He's right? people people love the idea of going going you know making spaceships and going you know making a rocket and doing that. People like the idea of building a car and being a car maker and saying hey, I'm a part of something. I'm a part of him creating history. And when I'm a when I'm an old man someday, I'll say, you see that car right there? <laughs> I built that thing, right? And and there's a certain pride in all that. So I'm not saying what, what they're doing is I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't lead that way. Right. Um, but it has its it has its purpose. Like if you're in the military, um, there's a time for debate and there's a time for action, right? I mean, the 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 ship is on fire. I was in the Navy. The ship is on fire, it's not the time to debate how to put it out, right? We have to put it out. It's not it's well, not debate bad. time, right? And so they're you just have to kind of understand your environment, right? And where there's there's a time for what I might have to say, hey George, I don't, I can't explain it, but I need to do this right now. And there might be a time where, as a leader, I say, hey George, we need to collaborate on this. Let's 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 take some time to come up with the best answer. Yeah, and um, part of being a good leader is to identify the difference, hmm. right? And if you're pigeonholed into I'm the expert, and there's only one way, it's my way or the highway. Okay, I mean. I've seen guys be quote successful doing it that way, but generally, I think what they have in it as an advantage is that they're the expert. Like Hyman Rickover in the as the father of the nuclear navy was that kind of guy. He was a really rough guy to work with. But you know, if you wanted to be on a submarine and you were passionate about nuclear power, that dude was an expert. I mean, you wanted to learn, you wanted to learn under him. Mm. Were you, and he, and he brought were, you the best were you on a nuclear sub? Um, I visited them. I was not on one. I was on an aircraft carrier. Okay. And I bring that up because my uh, stepdad and my dad um, were both on nuclear subs back in the 70s. Yeah, my, my, my father was as well. He was on the Nautilus. Hmm. Uh, what leadership lessons did you take away from the Army? When did you enlist in the, in the Navy? I'm sorry, not the Army, the Navy. When did you enlist? Like 18 or Actually, I I joined the uh, reserve officer training program and I went to college and got a commission through the uh, ROTC program. Okay. So so it was kind of a long five year you know, boot camp of sorts. I mean, you spend five years kind of going through classes and training and and then you get your commission. And uh, I was commissioned as an intelligence officer in the Navy in nineteen three yeah. and. Uh, yeah, been interesting. Tell, what what leadership lessons did you take away from the Navy that maybe you still even use today that are just part of your core now? Oh, there's so many. Oh man, um, I some some of the guys I dedicated uh, to the book to are, are some of the, some of these folks, good, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. I, I had one guy. He, he came up to me, and I was a you know, a junior officer. You know, in the Navy, he's called an ensign, right? Ensign. And he he looked at me, and he goes, "Ensigns are like fuses." When one burns out, you just throw them away and replace them with another. <laughs> well, I knew where I stood, right? Um, and um, that that was that was kind of an example of what I didn't want. 
And then there is another guy who, you know, I was kind of being wishy-washy about something and he looked at me and took me aside and he goes, you either lead, you follow, or you get the blank out of the way. And I went, hmm. okay. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Some of those, you know, don't be wishy-washy about things. It's like, you know, be decisive. And, um, hmm. you know, obviously in that, it's important to understand your environment, the the people you're leading you, you have to be dynamic, right? It not the formula doesn't work. There's no formula. You just have to understand your, your situation and the cards you're dealt. It's like playing a, playing a hand. You got to play your hand, whatever it is. And you can make your hand better, but oftentimes um, I find, I find that um, you inherit a hand, right? You, whatever job you just took on, you inherit the, whatever problems and baggage of the bad decisions you inherited all the bad decisions that behind you, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to figure your way through this. Do you think that in the the service the services mm -hmm. where it's life or death, you know, like we're like we're training to you know protect and serve and uh, keep our freedoms and things of that nature, right? That the idea of of leadership through connection and and knowing somebody and relationships and trust, like we don't have time for that. We're defending a country. We're and we're trying to keep you alive and keep other people alive and keep our boats afloat. We don't have time for that. So this whole connection and getting to know you and your background and what you love and your passions, we don't have time for that. Do what I say. Do what I say, and do it to the best of your ability. Do do do, do the services? Do they have that luxury, or do they still try to lead in those ways of hey? Christian, it's still important that I get to know who you are and all that sort of stuff because I'll be able to lead you better. It's a great question. Um, two, two things uh, I'll, I'll say. First of all is that the military isn't always at war, right? We train, we train for war. We train for preventing war, right? But there's a lot of time we're not, right? And so there's plenty of opportunity to get to know other people and uh, you make friends and mentor mentoring is a very common. And so a lot of the, a lot of the perceptions you have about the military are just straight up, not true. Um, now, but now I'll take it to the other extreme. Um, my dad, he was about 19 years old, 20 years old in the jungles of, uh, Cambodia and, you know, flying helicopters and, um, you know, was shot down three times in a war zone. He has, I, I think I'm not exaggerating, 283 air medals. If you know what those are, hmm. that you get one of those for every eight hours of in your when you're in enemy territory. Hmm. So they were flying. They were just it's just yeah. ridiculous. Um, and when his when most of his crew died and he had to get and pick up a new crew, he said to me, he said. I don't want to know their names because it hurt so hard when they all died mm. the first time or when they, when I, when they, you know, it, it, that I would say, and this is not leadership, this is just life, but yeah. as a defense mechanism, he just couldn't deal with deal with it. Like it was just, it, you know, this is no, where post-traumatic stress and other things happen. So you, you're dealing with a lot of extremes when it comes to the, to the military, but there is plenty of time to implement excellent leadership. And in fact, um, the military is a very strong Arbinger client. 
Hmm. Interesting. Big time. Big time. Hmm. Because because the top-down approach doesn't always work, right? And the chain of command where you have to talk to him and he has to talk to him and he has to talk to him, it's it's incredibly inefficient. Right. Right. I know, I know that we're running out of time a little bit here because I, and I know we, I could go on and on. I've got notes here uh, on, on things we've talked about. I, I want to circle back to something you and I talked about a week or so ago. And, and I, I don't think it was just something you said quickly. I think you actually hit on it quite a bit. And it's in it, it, it. I took it as a leadership principle. And, and I need to kind of clarify my notes here on what you were truly saying, because I really liked it. But the phrase was highest and best use, <laughs> highest and best use. And I underlined it. I went home after you and I had talked and I thought about our conversation as about highest and best use and how that relates to teams and team development and personnel and resources and leadership and things of that nature and how I could use kind of that phrase to remind me of that phrase and, and tell us about that phrase. And, and if you can remember kind of how we used it. Well, at the time, I think uh, it, it's a real estate term where you, where a plot of land is going is 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 going to be used at what's considered its best value. So, if you could put a a gas station on it, or use it as a car wash, or maybe it's a residential house or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. The idea is the person will probably sell it in a way, or, or the landowner should use it for its highest and best use. Right. And so where will I get the best value out of that land? Um, so you can use this farmland or you could put a car wash on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you may get a better price per square foot, blah, blah, blah there, there. So that's kind of the, the, where the phrase came from. And I started thinking about it and applying it to leadership situations and say, you know, we could promote George, and his highest and best use might be to be a director of XYZ, right? And, but also at the same time, highest and best use also means George now has more responsibility, right? It, possibly more stress, <laughs> right? He may not have time for his extracurricular activity anymore. Um, and so sometimes just because you can take the next job, you may not want to take the next job. And maybe you're better off. I think we were talking like, maybe you're better off staying where you are as opposed to wanting that next career rung on the ladder and be careful what you wish for. Sometimes you'll get it and you go, wow, you know, there's a reason why this guy gets the bonus because on the weekends when I'm normally, you know, on my boat, he's, He's in his office or he's at home making phone calls because the customer is upset and dealing with it. Right. So, so, yeah, the best use is not necessarily the best use of you for the team and for the organization, it could, although it could be and probably is to a certain extent. But it's also the best use of yourself for yourself is what I'm kind of taking what you're saying. Right. The highest use for me might be the position I'm in and that might be the best use for me of me for me. Right. Because I don't want that phone call on Saturday afternoon that a system's down. I want to be on my boat. So my highest and best use is writing code, sitting in a cubicle, taking tickets, closing items out. But the highest and best use for me for the organization might be 
director, VP, SVP, something else, right? Right. Or maybe not for me. That's, that's, that's how I kind of took what you said. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's kind of where I was thinking is. Yeah. Because I don't know about different life choices, how people are trying to climb these career ladders now right. without really understanding the implications of that. Right. 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 Are you, are you, can you still hear me? Yep. Are you there? Okay. I'm sorry. You broke yeah, up I'm a little here. bit on the last, Wait, but listen, I, I want to make sure to, um, I guess to acknowledge you on a few things, right. And we'll wrap up here. All right. I guess the other thing is this, your frantic leadership book. I know it's been a while. You said you even need to go back and read it, right? That's perfect. <laughs> right? Where can people find your book? Is it on Amazon? Is that a place where people could go and find your book? Yeah, it should be. Okay. So I'll make sure that's in my show notes. And if people do want to track you down, um, what's the best way? Are you on, are you on LinkedIn? Are you uh, on Twitter or any of those? Yep. I'm on LinkedIn. I don't, I don't do too many tweets. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, main ones. Okay. I'll make a sure. A little bit have- of Instagram. And because I have a daughter, Snapchat. Okay. I'll make sure to have that. And just to, I guess, to acknowledge you one, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate us working together and what you've done for me and given me um, you know, a perspective, you know, the one thing, there's two things I really admire about you. One is you wear your faith on your sleeve. We've been out a number of times. Um, you're not apologetic in, in your faith. And, and I've always admired and looked up to that. Uh, you know, I think you lead with that in conversations and, and, um, and, and in my perspective on how you kind of live. And I, and I think that, you know, the integrity that you talked about and the care that you talked about and the love that you talked about um, is, is, is based on that. Um, the other thing I really admire, and I wish I was better at this, um, and, and, I, and it's something I've wished I've been better at this for years, is you're, you know what you know, and I think you're, you're, you have a foundation built on what you believe on how things should be with leadership or with Agile or with process or with what you do professionally. And I like it that you're really opinionated about it. And I admire that, right? Because I, I believe what I believe. I'm not as vocal with my opinions on that. Um, but what I like about that is you're also very flexible with your opinions. I think you do a great job of listening to people, even based on, even if you believe that they're wrong in your opinion, right? Even if it's not right in what the problem they're trying to solve or even the direction they're going, you do a great job of listening to people's perspective. Um, and then even, and then if it differs from your opinion, I feel like you have a flexible opinion, right? That you're always learning and not so deeply rooted in your opinion. Um, and I've always admired that, right? Because I do believe you have this great knowledge of what we do of, you have this great knowledge of things I'm passionate about, and you're always kind of open to, uh, listening to people and, uh, even, even altering and being flexible in your opinion. So anyway, just kind of a couple of acknowledgements on the way out. I've, I've, I've um, and I've enjoyed our friendship and, and what you do for me professionally. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I, I really appreciate it. And that's, uh, it's humbling. Um, I probably don't deserve 86.3% of it, but I'll take it. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Um, you, you get, you know, wisdom, wisdom is something I've seeked a lot, you right. And you, and with, with wisdom comes humility, because I, I, I think there's a, a, a sentence I heard or a phrase one time that said, um, the greater your island of knowledge, the greater your shoreline of ignorance. Mm. <laughs> so 
right? The, the, right? And it's actually true. You think about right. it, I'm getting smarter, I'm getting smarter, I'm getting smarter, yet how much you, you realize how much you don't still know. And so, you know, you, you have to be in a, in a situation where you're continuously learning. I mean, especially mm-hmm. in the work that we do, the world is changing faster than ever. Um, we can't rest on our laurels in terms of knowledge. And so even things we thought were absolutely true about leadership, um, you know, about uh, management, they're, they, they're, they've been debunked, right? I mean, yeah. some of these, some of these theories. And so, especially when it comes to, you know, producing high quality products and services uh, at, at scale. So, um, which is what, which is what we do. So um, you, you have to, you have to really take what you know and keep continue to question whether it's still whether it's still right or not right um but i i think the the i'll say this george as you gain more experience it it comes with right i mean i i think one guy said something like well you know how do you how do you uh you know become the ex the the boss and he goes you well you make good decisions well how do you learn to make good decisions you make bad decisions Well, listen, I really appreciate our time. There's there's a lot of takeaways in this, and I do put some show notes together. I listen to this, and I have my own notebook that I take a lot of notes in every single day and with the content that I consume. And one of the items I'll take away, there's there's a lot here, right, of you know, help offered, help needed, and highest, best use, and the integrity and care with, care with purpose. I really like that phrase a lot. But to circle back to the idea of intent and heart, right? My hope would be for us as leaders and everybody listening to this is leading. You don't need the, the, the parking spot or the paycheck or, or any of that stuff. You're leading, you're leading. And the idea of leading is to have that intent and heart that Christian brought up, right? If your people know your heart and intent, even when you make bad decisions, they know that you were trying to make the right decision right? The right for the product, the right for the customer, the right for the team, the right for you individually. They were trying to make the right decision. So the, the idea of that is to just really put your people out in front first and really think and care with purpose, as Christian said, which is perfect, right? To really care about them, your customer, your product with purpose. And then everybody will know like, hey, he's trying, he or she is trying to make the right decisions. I know his heart, right? Is what Christian said. And I think there's, man, if I could have somebody say that about me when I make mistakes or say the wrong thing, or when I leave an organization, right? I knew his heart, right? That, that, you know, to Christian's point, that's all you really need to have said, right? You were doing things the right way. Um, And so anyway, a lot of lessons there, Christian. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. We're both busy. I appreciate our friendship and I'll make sure in the show notes that people, um, you know, or have a way to contact you and track you down on, on LinkedIn and, and have access to your book as well. So Christian, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Hey, my pleasure. Let's do it again sometime. All right. Thank you.